The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. We are live outside SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, the site of Super Bowl 56. Sunday's game being broadcast on NBC, as you know. In just a little bit, we're going to be joined by the great Al Michaels. He is calling the game once again. We also have a CNBC exclusive interview today with Jeffrey Gunlock, the CEO of Double Line Capital. What a great time to speak with him, especially after that red-hot inflation read, those comments from James Bullard as well. Yes, the investment committee, they're with me too. SoFi's Liz Young is on set with me here. Stadium, of course, in the backdrop. Courtney Gibson is back with us, and we're so happy about that. Jim Labenthal, Pete Najarian, the co-founder of Market Rebellion. Com. Let's do what we always do. We check the markets first. We're coming off the worst day for stocks in about three weeks, 10-year, holding above 2%. You see the board here, Dow's negative, S&P, NASDAQ negative. Russell 2000, though, getting at least a little bit of a lift. I want to begin with, Liz, inflation, Bullard, freaked the market out. Sure now did. the market's pricing in more hikes. Now we're talking about 50 basis points off the bat in March. How do we need to think about the market now? Yeah, well, I think we have to think about this period between now and March 16th as being the most dramatic period in the market, maybe all year. Mm. So here's the bad news. The bad news is that inflation is uncomfortably high, right? The other piece of bad news is that the yield curve has flattened in a form that we call a bear flattener, meaning there's still a little bit of fear in the market that we might make a mistake. There's growth fear. But the good news is actually that Bullard already freaked us out. So we're pricing in the worst. We're pricing in the most hawkish thing that could happen. We're expecting the worst. So now we might actually be surprised on the upside if they do less than that. Let's be clear, though, Farmer Jim. I mean, Bullard, what he says, isn't always what everybody else thinks we should be doing. And maybe that's going to be the case once again, because our own Steve Leisman is reporting that Fed officials are pushing back on Bullard. And then there are a whole slew of them out today with their own commentary saying, not so fast, James, not so fast on 50. What do you think? What are your own expectations now? Well, I, I think the base case has gone to 50 basis points. If you get a soft CPI uh, for February, which will be reported, you know, a week or two before the March 15th meeting, then maybe that backs off. But I, I don't think I, I think the point you're making is very valid, which is to say this. We've had exactly zero rate hikes in this rate cycle so far. And the first one is likely to be four or five weeks away. I'm not going to do the day count to March 15th. So that means that all of this conjecture, there's a lot that can change between now and then. And you know, Scott, I have not been on board with the seven rate hike uh, you know, trajectory and all of these people falling all over themselves to increase the number of rate hikes. What I think is going to happen is whether it's 50 basis points or 25 basis points, they're going to hike March 15th. And then they're going to sit back and see what happens with the data. And they're going to be data dependent. I expect there will be three, maybe four rate hikes. Uh, but again, this is going to be data dependent. So everybody's falling all over themselves. We've had zero rate hikes so far. Calm down. Three to four rate hikes. I mean, the market seems court to be pricing in six at this point. I mean, Bullard shook the world up when he said what he did. Now, I mentioned, again, these Leisman comments about the pushback. Barkin from Richmond, no need for half point, he said. Mary Daly, San Francisco, not my preference, is what she said. Do we need to think about stocks differently today than we were thinking about them two days ago? Well, Scott, it's so great to be back. I don't know what you guys have done to this market here, though, in my absence. Goodness gracious. <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, 
As you know, we recently bought a fixed income bond manager based out of Miami, and I tell you, there's not a better time to have super high quality people in my back pocket uh, to be able to help me out here. And it's kind of interesting how they're viewing the, the, the market and whether it's five rate hikes, six, seven, the market right now has already begun to price in 50 bips. So the Fed has an option here, right? So the market's already expecting this. If they don't want to do it, they don't have to. It is priced in at this juncture for March. However, if they're not going to do it, I think they need to message appropriately. They've got to take the volatility out of the decision at this point. And I think that's why you're hearing some of those whispers in the back halls here with the Fed folks around what kind of Bullard has said and how they're kind of deviating from that. But right now they have that option to go 50. I personally don't think that they take it. I think they leg in here and that they message appropriately based on, as my buddy Farmer Jim has said, based on the data. Mm -hmm. And with stocks, the stock market is absolutely going to follow suit at, at, this, at this point. The bond market, as we all know, is the canary in the coal mine. And so what happens with rates, so too shall happen with stocks. Pay attention to vol. With vol being back, there are opportunities here within financials and within other areas and sectors of the market. But you have to be very careful and pick individual names within those sectors that you like, that you think can weather this storm. Yeah, you got a 60% chance right now according to the way that markets are predicting a 50 basis point hike in March. Citigroup today says they expect 50 in March. Jan Hatzius now looking for seven rate hikes, and he's joining the top end of those projections. Pete, you know, maybe people are getting a little over their skis all of a sudden, because as I suggested, yeah. what yeah. Bullard has said in the past hasn't always come to fruition, and people have come out quickly to push back against the notion that we need all of these emergency moves at the level that he's potentially suggesting that we do. You're right, Scott. I mean, they have come out almost immediately, right? And, and essentially saying, we don't really think so. And I think that's exactly the right answer, which is maybe we have this priced in at least to some degree. Uh, but I got to tell you, I, I, I don't see it. And I think that the voters that are on the Fed, those that have those votes, well, are the ones that I would be listening to, and that's the signal that we hey, are Bullard's getting got right one. now. And I think, you know, Bullard's got one. Well, right? right? But Bullard's, Bullard's, Bullard's got one. I mean, you have to Bullard's, listen to him. But, you got to listen to him. But you, <laughs> but you just mentioned a few that that were pushing back, and I agree with the pushing back part because um, that's what I the sense that I get as well. And when you listen to everything from Jay Powell since day one, and we talk about this constantly, is seems to be a guy who's a man of his word. He's going to do things in a measured pace. And that's the way I take it. I, I, and it. And that's what he has been giving us, right? I mean, he's, he has signaled to us almost every single time that the Fed gets in front of us exactly what they're going to do. And then for some reason or another, there are folks out there that are shocked or surprised. They shouldn't be. He has been out there in front of this the entire time. I would expect that to be the, the same. And I do think there are probably more rate hikes than, I think, was it Farmer Jim or somebody said, four or something like that. I think there will be more, but I'm not so sure that you're going to see um, what Jim Bullard was talking about today. I just don't see that. I don't think that they want to well, go mean, that direction just yet. Jim, you've been a skeptic, right? I mean, you've certainly been playing towards the low end of hikes. I mean, some of the things I see you doing in the market are interesting. Marathon Petroleum, you've held it for a long time. You took the profits. So you're getting out now. Does that say anything about the kind of volatility that you think we could have in the weeks and that's perhaps a, months ahead? That's a really good question. So, Scott, you know, inherent in a rate hike cycle is the idea that the participation trophy way of investing goes away. Now stock picking really matters. And, and all of us who are security analysts have been waiting for this. It's driven us crazy the way FANG and large cap growth has just outperformed everything for seven years. Marathon Petroleum, I think from the, the bottom of the recession is up 250%, well more than the S&P. I think it's up about 80%, well more than the XLE, which is up about 150%. Basically, Marathon Petroleum has given me everything that I wanted from it and more. It's time to move on because this is a cyclical stock. It will go down at some point in time. So I don't need to try to be a hero and get it to 90, especially when, and you know I'm going to go here, Cleveland Cliffs reported today, if you read the report and I and listened to the earnings call and I sp spoke to Lorenzo Gonsalves afterwards, this company is on fire. 
for it to be down the way it is now, this is absolutely what you want. You want to buy low with Cleveland Hef Cliffs and finance it by selling high with Marathon Petroleum. And as the Fed raises interest rates, yes, individual stock volatility crops up and gives us these opportunities. Yeah, not surprising. I I was expecting a lot of conversation about the financials for obvious reasons. Higher rates, perhaps better for the financials. than Courtney Gibson, I look down and I see Goldman Sachs. For the first time, you've bought that stock and you bought Citi as well. Is this a rate play, as pure play as you get? As pure play as you get, sort of, right? Um, in addition to interest rates, which everyone kind of equates to kind of the financials doing better, I also like, as you know, financials that have asset managers or investment banks and broker-dealers. As you add volatility back in this marketplace, which I don't think anybody in this panel would ever disagree with, those folks that trade stocks, trade bonds, make money on that flow are going to do better. They're going to get more trading volumes. Also, those exchange platforms, you know I love tech, and you know for the long term, tech is here to stay, as I've said, forever. FinTech, exchanges, again, individual companies that have great sound financials that make money on the flow and the trading of, of securities are going to do well in this next market cycle in 2022. I see, I see that you bought more SoFi. I thought maybe you were just saying that because Liz is here and the beautiful stadium <laughs> hey, is behind look, no, us. No, 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 but, but, but Scott, I'm I also... I know there's more to it. <laughs> I, no, 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 there is, and I'm, I'm very consistent with that. One, they were smart enough to hire Liz, and honestly, I took a look, a much deeper look at SoFi when I added it to the portfolio when she joined. And subsequently, I mean, let's take a look at where it is. It's down more than, what, 21% and 50% off its highs. That's going to be one of those neobanks that wins as we move forward here. So pay attention. Liz, good move. All right. <laughs> we will definitely uh, pay attention. In fact, we have a lot more in store for you ahead right here. Up next, live from SoFi Stadium, sports consultant Mark Gannis is going to give us the latest on some ownership opportunities that exist in the NFL right now, plus legend Al Michaels. He joins us ahead of the big game, which he is calling, I think it's his 11th Super Bowl. Don't miss our CNBC exclusive interview as well with Jeffrey Gundlach. He is the CEO of Double Line later this hour. How timely that will be. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Sunday will mark the end of a banner business year for the NFL. Ratings were up sharply. Interest in the game remains as hot as ever. For more, let's bring in Mark Gannis. He is a sports consultant who's sometimes referred to as the league's 33rd owner. Welcome. It's good to see you once again at the Super Bowl. Yeah, great to be here. So I mentioned it's, it has been a, a banner year. Ratings best since 2015, mm-hmm. up 10% from last season. Revenue soaring after the pandemic, right. you know, drained about $4 billion from the NFL. So it's back. The NFL's back and bigger than ever with a trajectory that is a rocket ship going up. It's, uh, the NFL created a lot, of, a lot more distance between itself, not only other sports leagues, but all other broadcast properties. It's, it's really on a roll. Got new streaming deals. The massive media rights deal right. is already done, which is a big factor as well. Right. 
10 years of certainty with labor, 10 years of certainty with the broadcast deals, and there are a number of other broadcast deals and streaming deals and direct-to-consumer yet to come. I mean, that's not to say there aren't some serious issues to be dealt with front and center after the Brian Flores bombshell uh, lawsuit, which the commissioner himself addressed here at his annual press conference and said that the league needs to do better on diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. And it's been inexcusable, really, the fact that we're still having this conversation in the, in the manner at which we are today. How confident are you, knowing the ownership ranks as you do, um, that it's going to get better anytime soon? I, I actually am very confident it's going to get better. Uh, at the level below the head coach, general managers, uh, senior executives for the team, senior executives for the league, there's been a lot of diversity equity um, that in, in the new hires that have taken place. That's really the, the, the forerunner to what's going to happen on the head coaching level. I have a high level of confidence that when we're next, the game's next on NBC, that, that we're going to see a very different uh, uh, ratio of people. We certainly hope so. Um, and speaking of diversity, I mean, we do have a team up for grabs. Uh, you know, Denver Broncos right. are, are for sale. There's some talk that Robert Smith, uh, private equity titan, is mm -hmm. he's from Denver, right. that he may place a bid. Byron Allen, the media titan in his own right, mm -hmm. has been suggested as a possible bidder there. Yep. Um, the New York Post is reporting that the league was all but begging, and they <laughs> used that word about Robert Smith. What do you know? Uh, there's, there's an effort outreach effort to try and get qualified minorities both in a uh, control position and in a limited uh, partnership position. They want that. That having been said, this is, this is a sale by an estate, by, by, by a trust and trustees. That means they have to focus on the highest price. And so the league can be helpful, but ultimately it'll be who's willing to pay the highest price. What's the price going to be? I think it's going to start with a four. A um, four? A four. We may, we may get a to... A four? A four. Four billion dollars. Uh, I think this, and, and we'll see how much, how close to five it gets. This is going to be. This is the first deal that is after the ten-year labor, ten-year uh, broadcasting deals. The NFL is on fire, and there are parties that have a lot of money out there. They've made a lot of money in, during the pandemic as well. So we have that that working in in the process as well. So I think the number is going to be close to double what Dave Tepper paid. I was going to say, Tepper paid a little north of two. He paid almost 2.3. And I'm not sure it'll get to double, but it'll get really close to, to that, that, I believe. That is astonishing. It's been great seeing you. Thanks, Mark. Great seeing you, Scott. All right. Be sure to tune into the big game on Sunday. Coverage does begin at noon Eastern, of course, on NBC. Speaking of, Al Michaels, he is one of the most renowned sports broadcasters of all time, and he is back with us next. Of course, we're talking football, but we're talking stocks, too, because you know how much he likes to do that. Plus, all February, CNBC celebrating black history. Here is CNBC contributor Americus Reed with his advice for future leaders. My advice for future leaders is to be very careful in terms of diversity, inclusion and equity. It has to be created, but it also has to be managed. So we have to understand how to put different perspectives into our decision-making, into our companies, our brands, our organizations. And those different perspectives, we have to cultivate and manage them appropriately so that we can create the type of organizations that can be successful. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. 
Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Sunday's big game will be broadcast on NBC with Al Michaels calling his 11th Super Bowl. He's back with us now to talk some football, of course, to talk the markets as well. Al, it's so good to see you. Welcome back. Always great to be on the show. I can't wait for Sunday. You know, I've never seen the NFL hotter than it is right now. It's a national conversation. As you know, Judge, the last six playoff games have been off the charts, over the moon. So I'm just hoping we get a lucky seventh. And it's not like the craps table where you show up in the middle of a hot roll and somebody sevens out and, uh, and uh, the dealer says seven out line in new shooter. So let's hope for a good one yeah, and maybe so, an overtime game on Sunday. I mean, the, the Rams are favored, you know, in their own stadium. But the Bengals believe. I don't know if they believe in miracles, Al, because they don't think they need a miracle. They think they belong. They do. I mean, they're tired of the underdog narrative. Here they are. Uh, I mean, to erase an 18-point deficit on the road as they did at Kansas City, to survive nine sacks against Tennessee, which Joe Burrow did, and they won that game. So they're, they're the hot team right now. There's no question about it. And I think, you know, what they did in Kansas City captivated a lot of the country. Uh, unless you were rooting for the, the Kansas City Chiefs to get back to a third straight Super Bowl, the way they did it, you know, Burrow seems to be a guy. Nothing seems to be too big for him. They've got Jamar Chase. They've got some great players. Young coach. You've got the two youngest coaches in the league in this game, Judge. So there are tons and tons of storylines with as usual, Chris and Michelle and I will uh, let the game start and then fold our stories into what's taking place on the field. Yeah, we can't wait. I mean, in some ways, I guess, Al, this, this does mark a, a changing of the guard, if you will. Tom Brady is retiring. Joe Burrow would love nothing more than to assume the mantle of the next guy, a young guy who gets to his first Super Bowl, somewhat unlikely, and is able to win it. Can you speak to that? You know, people are always worried about a changing of the guard. It goes all the way back to who's going to replace Johnny Unitas, who's going to replace Marino and Montana and Elway. But guys have come along through the years, obviously, Brady at the forefront there, and Peyton Manning and Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger, who won a couple. So everybody's always w- worrying about, you know, the transition, who's next. But there's always a who's next. And there's a lot of who's next right now, not only with Burrow, but you've got Allen in, in Buffalo. Mahomes, of course, is already an established star. Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. So there are plenty of you know highlight plays that you see every week from all of the guys who've come in in the last couple of years. So I think it's an ever-evolving thing. And, of course, uh, Burrow could very well be at the forefront of it someday. I know you want to talk about the markets, too. I'm curious to how you've been feeling about them. I don't have Josh on with me today, but I do have the investment committee with me. Just what's your thought right now as we have a new bit of volatility coming into the market? And how is that affecting how you know, you're playing the markets these days? I wake up every morning. I put a blindfold on. This is too crazy <laughs> for me, Judge. I got to tell you, man, up 500, up, down 500, up 1,000. It's like crazy. So I know I've been immersed in preparing for this game for about three or four weeks. I'm studying 100 players, dozens of coaches. I don't even have time to look at this. I'm glancing. I love your show. I watch it all the time. But this is insanity. And anybody who knows, who thinks they know, doesn't know. I mean, what are we talking about? Tell me what the market does on Monday. That's what I want to know. Are you still playing like the quadruple levered financials or whatever those instruments are that you so dearly love? Josh hates them. But let me tell you something. I bought the FAS, the Direction Three Times Banks, as a day trading stock 10 years ago. It's gone wild. I can't get rid of it. I buy a stock at like 8 in the morning. I'm going to get rid of it at 10 o'clock. And 10 years later, I still have it. And I'm very happy to have it. Let me me tell you something, Scott. That's been... uh, a grand slam home run but who knows what happens down the line nobody al you call a good game on sunday we can't wait to uh, to watch you do it it'll be a lot of fun you're enjoying it out here right yeah yeah absolutely i've got the beautiful stadium in the background as we speak i hope to see you in person 
Five billion dollars will buy you a palace, won't it? Oh, it certainly will. Four billion dollars may buy you the Broncos, according to Mark Gannis, who was with us just before you. So <laughs> the, the league it. is the league is rolling. You be well. We'll see hey, you soon. If I hang out to the FAS, maybe I'll buy the Broncos. Hey, there you go. There you go. All right. You take care. That's Al Michaels, of course. Don't miss the big game Sunday. NBC coverage does begin at noon Eastern time. Let's get the headlines now with Rahel Solomon. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott, and here's what's happening at this hour. Let's start in New York City, where the mayor, Eric Adams, is warning that as many as 3,000 of the city's employees will be fired today if they don't get a COVID vaccine. Adams says that he'd prefer not to lose the city's first responders and teachers, but that the responsibility is clear. Other city officials, however, say that the loss would have no impact, as the 3,000 targeted workers have already been on unpaid leave for months. The Court of Arbitration for Sports will host an urgent hearing to determine Russian figure skater Kamila Valieva's right to compete at Tuesday's single event. That's after the anti-doping agency found that she had a banned heart medication in her system. The 15-year-old is the heavy favorite in her event, helping the Russians skate to gold and being the first woman to land a quadruple jump in the Olympics. And Australia has declared koalas an endangered species after years of drought, fires and habitat loss. The Australian Koala Foundation estimates that there may be fewer than 50,000 in the wild. Scott, that's one back to you. Appreciate that very much, Rahel. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. The moment you've been waiting for our halftime exclusive with Jeffrey Gundlach, the CEO of Double Line is next. This week's red hot read on inflation intensifying the debate over how many times the Fed will need to raise interest rates this year. Our next guest clearly has views on that. Jeffrey Gunlock is the CEO of Double Line Capital. He joins us now in a CNBC exclusive interview. Jeffrey, welcome back. It's great to see you. Nice to be with you, Judge. Happy Super Bowl weekend. Yes, and to you as well. I know you wish your your bills were here. It worked out differently, unfortunately. But let's talk about the question of the moment in the markets. How many times the Fed will need to raise interest rates and by how much? You heard the Bullard comments yesterday. The market is now seemingly pricing in 50 basis points in March. At least the probability of that is creeping higher. What is your view? I don't think the 50 basis point probability that's uh, you could calculate using the yield curve I don't think it's high enough right now for the Fed to actually go 50 in March. Uh, it's getting close. Usually, I mean, we've talked about this for years, Judge. I mean, the Fed just follows the bond market. I've made almost jokes about this in my webcast that all we need is the two-year Treasury. We don't really need the Fed because if you plot out the Fed funds rate relative to two-year Treasury, it's almost a perfect relationship. So right now, the two-year would probably have to go another 25 basis points higher or so by the meeting for them to go 50. But of course, it's a guarantee that they're going to raise rates, whether it's 25 or 50. I'm going to, at the present moment, bet on 25, but I do think there's about a one-third chance that it goes 50. But it looks like the Fed's going to raise rates uh, perhaps five times this year, which would take the two-year, you know, the Fed funds rate up to a little bit over one and a quarter. And it's interesting that the tremendous flattening of the yield curve we've seen since March of last year has slowed down a lot, which feeds into the idea that I've been uh, toying with, that the yield curve is going to once again flatten uh, at a lower level than any other time since about uh, 40 years ago. This has been the pattern. And so we're starting to get some recessionary indicators and some recessionary uh, views, which last time we spoke, uh, Scott, there was just nothing about recession. It was all about stimulus. But as we talked about, what's been feeding everything is the stimulus. And it's very odd that we're talking about perhaps five interest rate increases and you're querying me about a 50 basis point hike at the next meeting at the same time as the Fed is still doing quantitative easing. It's really kind of remarkable. Uh, I think the Fed should have stopped quantitative easing uh, uh, not next week, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but a year ago. And what we're seeing is the consequence of all this excessive stimulus. Uh, Judge, we talked about this back in the lockdown in 2020, back in March or April, that all of this uh, crazy stimulus was going to have inflationary impacts. 
And we were very hawkish on inflation entering 2021 at double I, but nobody was hawkish enough. I mean, we were so audacious as to say we might get a five handle on the CPI. Well, it's now seven and a half. And seven and a half, mm-hmm. seven, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but seven and a half sounds a lot higher than seven from the one month ago. I mean, seven and a half sounds like we're headed towards uh, double digits. I've been talking about how I feel young again because I grew up with Jimmy Carter. And so many of the things that I remember from being uh, you know, a teenager or a young a pre-teenager even are, are sort of looking the same. Uh, and that has a lot to do with markets as well. So we're, we're looking at kind of a similar situation, but almost in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the mirror. I mean, interest rates are so incredibly it's, low. They're super negative on a real basis. They were super negative on a real basis on Jimmy Carter, but they were at much higher levels. So it's not surprising that markets are having trouble because they've all been predicated on the enormous stimulus, which is obviously being taken. It's it's interesting to hear you, Jeffrey, push back on on Bullard in the manner I I feel that you are. Do, Do you think that five rate hikes will be enough? Can the Fed engineer a soft landing? Can they land the plane softly? I've never seen it happen before. I mean, every time you get into this sort of an environment, uh, you start to hear people talking about this time it's different. And I'm hearing that a little bit now already. You know, well, rates are still really low, so it doesn't matter. I heard somebody who is a mortgage broker on a radio program yesterday talking about how who cares if rates are up? They're they're, they're still really low. But that's that's really a bad analysis. When rates go up, it, it has an impact. So I think I think the Fed's going to have to raise rates more than the market still thinks. I think we're now priced ultimately for a terminal Fed funds rate of around one and a half, maybe one and three quarters. My suspicion is they're going to keep raising rates until something breaks, which is always the case. And so we're starting to see more recessionary indicators. We've got consumer sentiment today, which is always one of the best uh, leading indicators of recession. And it looks absolutely horrible. Uh, the Michigan consumer sentiment is down at 61, and the, the view of the future is absolutely tanking. And this is one of the few indicators that was uh, prescient about the exogenous shock of COVID. I mean, that was the one indicator that was looking recessionary in the first quarter of 2020. And so th- that's not looking very good. The yield curve is now have, has us on watch already. Once you get twos, tens, this yield between the 10-year treasury and two-year treasury, inside of 50 basis points, you're on recession watch. And that's where we are. It's, it's not very far inside of that. So we have a little bit of relaxation, but also fives, thirties, the yield between the five-year treasury and 30-year treasury is also inside of 50 basis points. And that uh, puts you on some probability of recession. So I don't, I, I, with the combination, the double-barreled raising of short-term interest rates and ultimately the winding down of quantitative easing, and I think they're going to go into quantitative tightening. Last time we saw this movie, it was in the fourth quarter of 2018. And we had, it's hard to remember because it went by with a blink of an eye, but we had a bear market in the fourth quarter of 2018 in equities. And, uh, you know, NASDAQ's down 10% year to date. The uh, S&P's down 5%. And I've noticed that global stocks are outperforming. Uh, even emerging markets are starting to outperform. This is a theme that I've been recommending really going back uh, since the middle of 2020. So, yeah, I think I think we're looking at some economic stress. Uh, my friend uh, Dave Rosenberg speaks very uh, eloquently about the huge fiscal drag that we're already experiencing. As much as the deficit is, is ex- exploding still, the deficit percent of GDP is contracting uh, from that ridiculous level of 2020 of about 20% of GDP, now so now only, only with air quotes, uh, 15% of GDP. But that's a big fiscal drag. So uh, we're starting to see a lot of, uh, I, I, let's go Jimmy Carter again, even though he didn't use the word malaise in the official crisis of confidence speech, it, it was quoted as a malaise speech. And we're seeing that. The other thing about inflation is everybody wants to point to supply chain problems. Uh, but uh, with this trucker thing going on, we've got uh, an extended supply chain problem. I mean, Ch- Canada is our biggest trading partner. And that bridge that uh, the truckers have shut down, uh, it, it carries about half as much as all of those boats that were so famously photographed off of the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. So uh, I think one thing we can all agree on is inflation just continues to surprise on the upside. 
The Fed is obviously behind the curve. Even the Fed officials are acknowledging it. And they're just going to have to keep uh, talking and acting more hawkishly, which is always problematic for risk assets as real yields have been rising uh, until very recently. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough so environment. It's, 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 there's no, no one's making any money. You don't expect that some of the inflation, and, and I'm not specifically talking about energy prices or wages, which are certainly likely to be more sticky, but you don't expect that some of these inflationary pressures are going to ease as you move further away from the pandemic, as we finally appear like we're nearing its, its end. You don't expect that inflation is going to start to come down? No, I do expect it's going to come down, but I think it's going to be disappointing, the pace and the degree to which it comes down versus those that, you know, want to say it's going back to three or even two percent. Yeah, I mean, like lumber prices are probably probably peaked. Um, housing is going to start having problems with prices being so high. I mean, most people don't realize that the median home price in the United States is up 30 percent over the last two years. People always look at the year over year, but the two year number is 30 percent. And now mortgage rates on the 30 year uh uh, conforming are at four percent, which doesn't sound very high. But when you have a market that's priced for three percent or even two and three quarter percent, that's a problem. So yes, some of the commodity prices are likely to ease, but they're going to be replaced with, as you suggest, wage growth uh, increase. And also on the CPI, the shelter component is grossly understated versus what's actually happening with rents, which are up double digits and unlikely to relax. And uh, obviously, I, I just mentioned single-family home prices. So there'll be a rotation of what's driving the inflation. But uh, I, I'm just, I, I'm just uh, at this point, I think the trend is your friend. How many months in a row, Judge, has it been that the CPI has, has uh, printed well above expectations? Most months, it's above the highest forecast. And as I said, we've been very hawkish on inflation more than almost any other firm. Uh, in the investment business, but not nearly hawkish enough. It just keeps it just keeps exceeding our forecast. We think that inflation is very likely to print at least five percent for 2022, which is way less than seven and a half. But it's a great distance away from a two percent plus a little bit ten-year, you know, a zero Fed funds rate. All of these things are completely out of sync. One of the things we like looking at, and have done so for years, is the ratio of the price of copper to the price of gold which is a great uh, starting point to think about where the 10-year Treasury yield maybe should be. For years, it, they were right on top of each other until the pandemic came. And then the copper-gold ratio blew higher with copper going way up and gold not doing much of anything. Of course, the 10-year Treasury yield was suppressed. So virtually every indicator, and we have a litany of them at Double Line, suggests that the 10-year Treasury under normal market conditions should be probably 100 basis points higher than it is right now. And the normal market conditions, the base case based upon Fed rhetoric, particularly Bullard, is that they might be entertaining the idea of letting normal market forces uh, take place. So interest rates are going higher. The, every risk asset has to reprice based upon these higher interest rates. And it's a, it's a, it's a process where capital preservation becomes important. I've been uh, mm, recommending non-US investments uh, relative to US. They're, they've started to outperform, particularly in equities. The best performing sector this year, strangely, is emerging market equity. And the reason I say strangely is that emerging market bonds are not doing well at all. So it's interesting that emerging market equities are catching something of a bid, even with the dollar not falling, which is going to happen ultimately. So the, uh, European equities are outperforming as well, particularly the UK, which we turned uh, bullish on a few weeks ago. So it's really a, mm -hmm. a, a rotation away from what was the beneficiary of all of the excessive stimulus, and that's in the process of repricing. And I think it has a ways to go. And I, and I, I do recall when, when we last spoke in October, you had told us and our, our viewers that for the first time in the firm's history, you were overweight European stocks versus the United States. Let's do this, Jeffrey. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, certainly want to talk more with you about the markets. We'll be right back with Double Lines, Jeffrey Gunlock. We are back now with Jeffrey Gunlock. He is the CEO of Double Line Capital. It is a CNBC exclusive interview. Jeffrey, we've talked a lot about the Fed, obviously, and we've talked about rates. I want to talk to you a bit about the markets, which have been behaving pretty well. I think you would agree. It's not like, you know, 
credit spreads are blowing out or anything like that. They've been behaving pretty well. Yes, the stock market has had some upset to it, but it's also proven to be pretty resilient. I'm wondering what you think on both accounts. Well, credit spreads are quietly widening, and I think it's more than a lot of people are aware of. I mean, I mentioned earlier that emerging market debt is down pretty sharp, and it's down 5 6% year to date. You know, we're five weeks into the year. We're down 5 6%. And last year, emerging market debt was also negative uh, of some significance on an index basis. So that's widening out. Uh, what's, what's holding in? Our floating rate credit spreads because people are, uh, you know, wagering on the, this Fed trend to higher interest rates. But when you look at investment grade corporate bonds, they've widened now by, I don't know, 20 basis points or so from their tights. Uh, I agree with you. It's not a lot. Uh, high yield bonds have been reasonably resilient and stocks aren't down all that much. I agree. I remember back uh, when there was a lot of turmoil that was starting to brew, whether that was in I'm not sure if I'm talking about 2018 in, or uh, early in 2020. We talked about uh, how sloppy things were getting, and I said, "This is not sloppy. This, this is not. This is not panic. This is this is the pre, this is the prelude to panic." And unfortunately, I think that's where we are right now when it comes to credit spreads. You know, credit spreads are like the old uh, from the, the from uh, sun also rises. You know, how did you go bankrupt? Uh, two ways: first slowly, then very quickly. That's, what, that's how credit markets deteriorate, first very slowly and then all at once. Because the, one of the problems that the credit market is facing is that obviously treasury rates have been rising and bond returns were negative last year and they're uh, more negative this year. And so people don't like buying things that are delivering negative returns. And so one has to ask when the Fed is not buying any bonds anymore and when they start doing quantitative tightening, uh, and there's not a lot of enthusiasm for fixed income broadly, what's going to stop uh, prices from uh, going down on some of this credit product, which, let's face it, thanks to the Fed's actions, didn't exactly uh, enter 2022 as, as cheap. So I think we have more spread widening to go. And I, we all know that when spreads start to widen, you start to have problems in equity. So I think that you're right to say that, yes, there has been no panic. Markets held up pretty well. Not exactly the NASDAQ, but certainly parts, you know, certainly uh, Dow Jones isn't, isn't bad. And so there's parts of the market that are doing well. But I, I do think that the, we, the obvious tailwind we've talked about for nearly two years, Judge, which is this quantitative uh, easing and zero interest rates against the backdrop of escalating inflation, so massively negative interest rates, more negative then under Jimmy Carter, uh, those, you know, th that's that's a problem when that starts getting taken away because that's what's priced in. So you have to go to places where you're not being, you know, on a sugar high, where, where the, 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 you're not living on massive stimulus. So, again, emerging markets are probably a place that uh, I haven't bought emerging market equities yet, but I'm getting close. And I've, I've started mm. to recommend that it's OK to start averaging in because the, the relative valuations of things are so out of whack. If you look at the United States, growth versus value. I mean, your value is as cheap as it was in Jimmy Carter day. And these are huge cycles that have massive swings. And, and value is, is as cheap now as it was in 1976 versus growth. And you see that uh, you look at, uh, not just in the United States, growth versus value, but in developed markets. The, the P.E. of growth versus value in developed markets uh, on average is about the same as it was five, six years ago. And yet growth is outperformed by 100 percent. And so we have very extreme valuations, which is never a catalyst. I completely agree with uh, guests on CNBC that say, you know, you can't just go on valuation. I completely agree. But it's so stretched at this point. And one thing that's really interesting is that relentless trend has started to show signs of reversing. You mentioned that I bought European stocks about a little less than a year ago. And as I said in our my last appearance, it hasn't really worked versus owning U.S. stocks, but it hasn't not. Worked. It's almost exactly the same performance going back to the middle of 2020. And since we bought them, actually, European stocks have slightly outperformed. So that incredible trend of U.S. outperforming by two, three hundred percent, some of these other regions, has already shown very significant signs of reversing momentum 
and starting uh, to, to uh, favor the non-U.S. investments. And beyond that, the dollar isn't even weak yet. It's holding up on the Dixie index at about 96, with a range of about 95 to 97. It might even push a little bit higher with the Fed raising interest rates, with the talk of more aggressive Fed. But once it reverses, and it will, uh, you're going to see the real, you know, the bumper crop about performance from these European stocks versus U.S. and emerging markets. This is this is the main trade that I think investors. I'm not talking about speculators. I'm not talking about for the next quarter. I'm not even talking about for 2022. Although I think it will happen in 2022. I'm talking about a multi-year view of where you're going to get, see sustained uh, outperformance. Out the dollar peaked. In January of 2017, and then double topped under the lockdown in 2020. Dollar trends tend to go for about eight years. You've probably got, if you t start with the 2017 top, you've got at least three years where the dollar will probably be weak. And if you use the 2020, you've got perhaps, you know, six years. So let's just take it in the middle and say you've got sort of a, a four or five year window where I think you're going to see this outperformance I'm talking about really materialize. And it's it's one of these things that's so extreme. It's like where commodities were. Well, I, I turned very bullish on commodities in the summer of 2020 when they were decimated with the pandemic. They've performed by about 100 percent since then. Uh, that's a huge outperformance. And what, that's one of the reasons why inflation has surprised to the upside. I, I'm not really a big fan of commodities right now, not until the dollar starts, starts weakening because they're up so much. But th this is the type of huge move that one can anticipate when these uh, right. outsized valuation discrepancies normalize. I love the fact that you're giving our viewers some some actionable investment ideas, Jeffrey, and places to look you know, beyond credit and beyond equities. I, I do want to ask you about equities, if I may, and because, you know, you have referred back to the pivot that the Fed made in 2018, and you recently tweeted about that and said, quote, I would not it would not be irrational to expect a mirror image market reaction. Now, you've already referred to that period as a bear market uh, for stocks. You've also talked about the 10 year needing to go up by another 100 basis points. So, you know, maybe three percent we're talking about. What is your outlook, at least in the near term, for U.S. equities? I think, I think in the near term, I would expect stability. Uh, the, the Fed pivot has been so remarkable. I, I, in that tweet, I was talking about that incredible pivot to the dovish side. Now we've had a, almost an historic pivot to the, the hawkish shot side, where it was zero forever and quantitative easing seemingly on autopilot. And now it's get out of quantitative easing in a, in a month or two and start raising rates by supersize, as Bullard might have called it. That is priced into the market right now. That, that's, the market is not, is not going to be surprised by this Fed pivot. It's already happened. And so for that reason, I, I think we're probably ready for some counter trend movement. Even in fact, yields might even drop a little bit uh, in the near term because they've, they've also uh, been digesting all of this stuff. So uh, we, we have to see what the March meeting brings. I think until then, I wouldn't be surprised if we had stability in the equity market, and I wouldn't expect weakness in risk assets going into the March meeting. Oh, interesting. Uh, what's the best opportunity you currently see in credit? Well, it's pretty esoteric. I, 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 I think you're really looking at uh, securitized products that are backed by, you know, cash flows that, you know, commercial mortgage-backed securities. It's pretty esoteric stuff. But I, I still prefer uh, the floating rate sector, even though I think it's already uh, priced in some of its advantage. I still think uh, the floating rate sectors are good. And that leads you to bank loans, uh, which have held up very, very well, almost too well. But they're, they're, they like the fact they're floating rate. And so some commercial mortgage-backed securities and the like are that way. But broadly speaking, you've got a, you've got a duration problem. Uh, in, in the fixed rate credit market right now. And the spread widening, it's likely to continue. So I think you have to stay in the shorter maturity and, and floating rate sectors. What's your current view of crypto, which we usually talk about whenever you're on with me. And, you know, it's had its own upset of late and it's rebounded very much like other quote unquote risk assets have as well. Where are you on crypto? What do you own as we speak today? 
Well, I've never been long or short crypto. It's just not in my DNA. It's too volatile for me. I, I remember I met with you last July, and uh, Bitcoin was like at, uh, at uh, 40,000 or so. And then I met with you again in October or November, and it was up at 60,000. And uh, that's sort, sort of the range. I, I think uh, Bitcoin, to, to use a, a, the placeholder for crypto, I, I mean, I think it's range bound between about high 30,000s and, and low 60,000s. And it just moves. It's, it's kind of like owning the NASDAQ on five times leverage. That's kind of what crypto is to me. And uh, so it's, ultimately, I think as we move into risk repricing, that could be to the downside. Crypto will probably be correlated positively with that, with that movement. I, I know you don't love these kinds of questions, but I'm going to ask you anyway, uh, because it is really the topic of conversation, and you've opined on the direction of, of the 10-year. Um, and before I let you go, the end of the year, 2022, the 10-year sits where? That's so funny because I always push back on that because it's always such a, a date specific. I remember you asked me that. Yeah, I know. Uh, last year, and I said I think it's going to take a peak at two percent, and uh, it didn't. It didn't take a peak at two percent in 2021, but it's certainly taken a peak to get it right now. I, I think the 10-year uh, will probably make a move towards 250. Uh, I, I'm really. I believe the curve is going to flatten at, at, at a lower level uh, than it did last time, which was at around three, three and a quarter. So it's possible the 10-year takes a peak at three percent this year. Uh, I'd be I'd, I'd be a little bit surprised if it does make it all the way to three uh, percent, because it's really the, the Fed is you know the Fed is on the job right now, and we have enough recessionary potential with the flattening yield curve and with the consumer looking really uh, sputtering is what I would call it based on consumer sentiment and where prices are and where inflation is. I, I think the fiscal drag with the consumer not having stimulus. Uh, I think the probability of weaker economic activity later this year is pretty high. Mm. Interesting. All right. And before I let you go, who do you like on Sunday? I think I when when the Rams signed Von Miller, uh, I very shortly thereafter said, I think the, the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. And uh, it didn't look that good in the ensuing few weeks. But I, I expect that you're going to hear the names uh, Donald and Miller a lot. And the question is, can Joe Burrow do his Houdini act, which he certainly did very well uh, in the uh, championship game. But I, I frankly, I, I think the, the Rams are going to win by at least two scores. Oh, we hope it's a great game. I know you'll be watching. Jeffrey Gunlock, I appreciate you being with us. It's great to catch up with you, especially now, given what's been going on within these markets. It's, exci it's exciting times. What a, what a couple of weeks we've had. Good luck to everybody out no there. Thank you. That. All right. Yep. We'll talk to you again soon. Again, that's Jeffrey Gunlock, the CEO of Double Line. We'll check the markets before we uh, head out today. You see the 10 year, which we're showing on the screen right now, 202. So we're going to keep our eyes clearly there. Jeffrey Gunlock says maybe 253%, perhaps, but that may be pushing it as well. There's stocks. They are down across the board, except for the Russell. That does it for us. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.